Welcome back to another edition of the Neat Humans podcast. Um, today, this episode, we talked to Jackie Kalen. Uh, there's a handful of reasons why Jackie is somebody who I thought would be uh, qualified for for an installment of this podcast. Um, first off, she was uh, somebody I knew back in college. She was a basketball player at UNI and uh, still, I would say, almost universally considered uh, the best basketball player for the women's team that UNI has ever seen. Um, she's. I was looking up her stats before recording this and she's the career leader in points, three-pointers, free throws, assists, games played, uh, started and played in every single game of her career. Um, 136 games she played and she started every one of them from the time that she was a true freshman. Um, she holds 15 career or single season records in the UNI uh, record book and so there's almost nobody that could compete with for that title of the, the best uh, women's player that UNI has ever seen. Um, she's a Sioux City native so um, when I worked in Sioux City I had some other connections to her um, and her old high school. Uh, but the, a few other things that make her interesting, so she is uh, Jewish um, and we talk about this a lot in the podcast. She's Jewish and she's a lesbian. Um, and she uh, lived the van life for a while. She and her uh, partner, now now wife, um, they traveled across the country in a van and um, now are uh, living and set up in Wisconsin. And so they just have a really interesting story of their entire relationship and where they are now. Um, this is a little bit longer episode again, um, but uh, as I always say, I hope it's worth the listen. I think there's a lot of really important discussions that we get to into here. Uh, Jackie is just a really interesting person that has a lot of cool stuff to say, um, and she's just had a lot of really interesting experiences uh, with being a Jewish lesbian in the Midwest where that's not often a um, combination of, um, what do you want to say, it's, it's just not a type of person that you would run into very often. Um, and so she has a lot of interesting um, stories to tell about uh, growing up Jewish and now uh, living the last, oh, whatever, five or six years um, as, a, as a gay person. Um, and, and for she and I, I mean, I think that we probably both know that there's certain things that we don't agree about. I mean, she just comes from a very different background and different lifestyle. And so uh, she and I wouldn't see eye to eye on a lot of things, but we still really get along well together and um, have a lot of things that we uh, have in common. And get some good conversation in. Um, when I recorded this, uh, the entire recording was probably over three hours of conversation that we went into, and it was over two different days. We talked for about an hour and a half one day, and she said, I've got to go you know, to this meeting. Um, so we had to carry on and do the rest of the recording um, uh, a week later or so. Uh, so it's split into two parts. Um, maybe you'll notice a little bit of difference in audio. I don't think it's too noticeable. So, um, But if there is something that uh, you kind of can tell the audio sounds a little different, that's the reason why is we recorded it on two different days. Um, but that just goes to show, yeah, we had a lot of topics to get to and Jackie had a lot of things to say. I mean, I, I really do think that we talked for three plus hours total. So um, there was a lot that we, a lot of ground to cover, and there was even a lot that we didn't get to that I kind of had thought about. But uh, nevertheless, um, have a good listen, and here's Jackie Kalen. First, you know, thank you for joining. I, I appreciate you letting me call in and uh, take some of your time today. Um, you know, first, let's touch on where, where your, your background a little bit growing up in Sioux City. Um, uh, well, first off, is this your first podcast, or have you done some of these before? You know, I think it's like, I, I've done a couple, um, but not not anything that's like particular to just 
talking about myself, yeah. I suppose. Like I, I've done a couple where I've shared um, on a particular topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it was very nice of you to reach out and check in and then just kind of want to hear what I'm up to or what I'm doing. This would be a first of that nature. Yeah. No, I like to get, uh, especially people that in my life that have kind of an interesting story, I kind of like to get that all like compiled into one place. And so let's, uh, let's hope we can do that today. Um, Thanks, Alvin. Well, first off, yeah, let's talk about Sioux City. Did you enjoy growing up in Sioux City? Was that like a good fitting place for you? I mean, I know obviously you haven't like lived there since high school, I don't think. And so was it all right or would you ever go back there? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I feel very lucky to grow up uh, in the community that I grew up in, you know, went to Sioux City North High School. I have three siblings and and we all grew up in Sioux City and, you know, several different things come to mind. Um, You know, we're a Jewish family and and it's a smaller Jewish population. Um, But at the time, I think it was a little bit bigger and it was, you know, a, a good experience for us growing up there and then of course you know growing up in a family my dad has a family business in sioux city um and and my mom you know very involved uh you know started the poison control center and um you know the two of them have made such an impact in in the community uh so it's it's definitely a place that while we don't i don't live there any longer i love visiting love going back we try to the whole family get back there at least once a year um, to see my parents still in the house that we grew up in. So were you the main athlete in the family or were any of the other ones uh, good basketball players or anything? Yeah, so we all played. Um, you know, while I was the only one who kind of really ran with it post post high school. So my older brother, Michael, did play. So he went to college at Harvard and he did play for um, – I don't know if it was the the JV team or he played a little bit uh, of of basketball in his college days. Uh, But my older sister, my younger brother did not play college basketball, but we all four played high school basketball. And even though my older sister wasn't necessarily like the star and went on, you know, to play like I did, I have to give her absolutely the most credit in terms like I, I grew up. I mean, my nickname was like Bubblegum. I think there was this book where it was like I was always just sticking by her side and like my work ethic and my approach to the game and everything I did was because I looked up to her and that's what she did. Hmm. And so, you know, even though her her future in basketball was very different, I truly give her, you know, so much credit in helping me become the player I was just by her being such a role model for yeah. me. Yeah, I am curious how that happens then. I mean, in a family of four siblings, how there is one that does kind of stand out above the others. I mean, was it just kind of you got the the most like uh, natural talent? Or I mean, do you feel like you put in a little bit more, you know, hard work from a younger age? That's a really good question. Um, I think, you know, there's not going to be one particular answer. I think being third of four, I was a very competitive kid and um, found myself in a lot of just like, not like fights, but like sibling fights, Mm -hmm. you know, just like getting after it, um, being kind of that middle child. But Honestly, a large part of what I attribute to my athletic success is I was a gymnast for the first, basically, well, from like age three to 13. So for about 10 years, I I did gymnastics and my other siblings did not do that. And I'm not saying that's like the one and only, you know, thing and reason why, 
But I do answer that question a lot uh, with parents and kids and like recommendations. And I'm like, hey, I attribute a lot of my like coordination and athletic ability um, to those early years being in gymnastics. Interesting. I guess I hadn't heard that before about gymnastics being a good sport to kind of develop uh, good coordination stuff. Because I know you were good. I mean, basketball was your main thing, but I know you were good like uh, hurdler too. And did you play, what was it, soccer too? Yeah. So I, yep. I played soccer and track for all four years and then did cross country one year. So this is another topic I feel so strongly about is like diversified participation in sports growing up and throughout high school. And I know we live in a world where there are a lot of pressure on kids to specialize or to get more and more involved in AAU, uh, in whatever particular sport. And I cannot say enough as loudly as I can that it is so much healthier to participate in multiple sports and, and, and the upside, like, you know, I, I was a college coach and like, even from a recruiting standpoint, um, I, you know, I recognize there's certain needs to play AAU for recognition or to get yourself out there, but it shouldn't be a replacement or like an, instead of participating in all of their sports, because like, in my opinion, and I know a lot of coaches that I would talk to agreed, the upside of a player and the potential is only going to, you know, grow if they go from playing multiple sports in high school to focusing in on one in college. But if they're, you know, if you focus in earlier on, you're not only potentially reaching your upside sooner, but you're also not developing parts of your body that like, you know, the way I used my body in soccer and track is different than the way I used my body in basketball. And having that development all the way up until I went off to college, I think is a, an additional reason why I was able to continue getting better and continue growing and um, in college. And so I'm, I, I wrote a research paper on it in college about just like specialization versus diversified participation in sport throughout your youth and high school. And like, I am just such an advocate for staying mm -hmm. in all the sports um, and for the experience too. And injuries. I mean, there, there, there's a million and one reasons why yeah. um, I think it's important. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, it's something that I have heard like a discussion about with, uh, with you know, other coaches and stuff. And I guess as, as somebody who covers sports, I feel like I have not seen that become necessarily much of a problem in Iowa, at least right now. I mean, would you say that's the case, that it's something that's a bigger issue in other parts of the country or bigger metropolises, or do you see it being an issue in Iowa right now? Good question. You know, I'm really happy to hear that you haven't noticed that yet. And I think, you know, it, it's probably not as big of a thing in, in smaller towns, for sure, where, like, you know, just to get enough kids out, you got to play multiple sports. But I'm honestly, I'm not super up to date on, on Iowa in particular, but I do know just from my experience in coaching and the AAU world, and then just kind of keeping tabs on the pressures coming from that, that I do know, like there's, you know, more and more opportunities to play your one sport year round. And while that's great in some ways you know we we need to be careful about what that's taking away from and um yeah to answer your question i don't know for sure but i'm really happy to hear it hasn't been noticeable for you and um you know hopefully i don't know i just 
the AAU world is important, but I just hope it never gets to the point where it kind of removes um, the importance of high school sports and the importance of, of, you know, participating in many activities. Yeah. Well, you touched on something that I was going to talk about later, but I may as well bring it up now. You know, you mentioned that you were Jewish growing up in Sioux City. And so uh, was that, I mean, in all the, the time that I lived in Sioux City, I, I, I actually lived close to one of the synagogues there. But um, other than that, I didn't really know a lot of people there that were Jewish. Was there a big Jewish population there at all? Yeah, you know, it's, it on it makes me very sad today you know it's it's dwindling it's getting smaller and smaller and i think you know i'm i like feel a sense of guilt even being a part of an example of you know youth growing up and not returning to sioux city and that would be how the the population gets smaller um but so when i grew up i mean it, it was iowa itself isn't a huge state for you know a jewish population des moines um is okay but um you know i grew up going to herzl camp which we'll i'm sure talk about in a little bit just because that's near where i'm located now um but that was always every summer my experience my jewish kind of experience was always really through attending this camp where the majority of, in wisconsin where the majority of the kids were from the twin cities um and so sioux city has always had a small population but unfortunately it's it's even smaller and smaller now and you know i think recently my family was just having a conversation about that and about what it could look like to you know what it would take to get families to come back and settle in Sioux City and why they are or are not choosing to do that. And, um, you know, similar to a lot of different places where for whether it be, you know, Jewish populations or any specific population, why people do and don't settle in certain places. Um, but I was very lucky that uh, in addition to having, you know, a, a good small Jewish community of, of friends and, and family in Sioux City, I had, you know, the connections to Herzl Camp, which provided you know, a much bigger community for yeah. us. Well, of course, you know, then you went from Sioux City to Cedar Falls to go to UNI. Was, uh, I'll, I'll ask first, was was the Jewish population there any, I mean, was it similar to Sioux City or bigger, smaller? Even smaller. In fact, one <laughs> of the, kind of on the list of pros and cons when I was looking at schools, because um, my older two siblings had both gone to schools where there was a very big Jewish population. And I remember that being a conversation when I chose UNI, um, and knew that like it, I was going the opposite direction of what I wanted and that, you know, there was, I don't think any sort of Jewish population there, but I also remember sort of taking the approach of, and kind of taking pride in like being the first Jewish person that people would meet and having, you know, conversations about being Jewish and what that meant because you and I, at, the, at that time at least, you know, a lot of the student population was small town Iowa. And so they had never even met a Jewish person. And so, um, you know, I, it wasn't necessarily like I didn't, it, it was a con on the list of pros and cons, but I was able to kind of turn it into an opportunity, you know, to meet people and to talk about Judaism and to learn about their faith and, um, Ironically, now looking ahead to where I have settled here, there it, there are some similarities um, in that and just kind of being a person that's kind of open and willing um, to talk and share and answer questions and not get offended, you know, if, if somebody asks a question wrong and instead just like appreciate people's desire to learn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny you say that because I was 
just about the case with me. My, my freshman year of college, I lived on the same floor as a, a kid who was Jewish. But other than that, I would say that <laughs> that was probably the case with me, that you were one of the first Jewish, Jewish people that I knew when I was in college. Um, I'm curious, when you went to UNI, did you, I don't know, if, it seems like you were not like a super heavily recruited basketball player coming out of high school. Like it's not like Iowa and Iowa State were coming knocking on your door. Did you feel like you, as a player, had um, something to prove when you came there, anything like that? Great question. Um, you know, this is this is something that, like, looking back just kind of makes me smile because I, you know, I, there, there's an article that my parents have framed, a newspaper article where Coach Walker, I think, is, like, quoted um, when I signed with UNI of saying something along the lines of, you know, they're getting a player that... Um, hasn't even you know neared where what her potential is or like it you know is I forget what the the quote was but something along the lines of like he knew what other people didn't necessarily see in the recruiting process that like my upside I suppose you'd call it um was big and to answer your question I definitely didn't go into anything with something to prove I was grateful to have the opportunity to play at UNI um, and you know I was recruited by Tony D he actually left before my first summer and so I played for Tanya Warren um, but Brad Nelson was a big part of my my recruiting process um, and I absolutely did not go into it um, with any sort of, of hard feelings about where I wasn't recruited from other than I used to give coach Warren a hard time because she was the recruiting coordinator at Creighton, um, <laughs> during the, my recruiting time. And then she ended up my head coach mm -hmm. at, at UNI. So I used to give her a hard time cause Creighton's closer mm -hmm. to Sioux city than UNI. So I'm like, you actually didn't recruit me, but, um, so I like to give her a hard time for that. But yeah, like I, I definitely was not heavily recruited. Um, I was very grateful for the opportunity I had to play for UNI. And then, um, you know, it brings a smile to my face. Like one of my assistant coaches after my freshman year, um, you know, shared with me a couple of comments that, um, like a, a coach from Iowa or Iowa State or whoever, you know, you know, made a comment that um, that I was a player that certainly could have played at that level or, um, you know, may have been missed in the recruiting process or, or whatever it was. Um, but I, I think everything happens for a reason. I would never change in a heart the, like the, where I ended up. And I also recognize, like I played next to Tanea Warden, who, you know, was another really outstanding player and, um, was very flashy and played in a way that, um, looked different than the way that I played. And so, you know, and, and I wouldn't change that either. Like we made each other as good as we were. And, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's like you may or may not get certain looks or opportunities just based on factors, but everything happens for a reason. And I think we end up where we end up for a reason. Um, and so, you know, I wouldn't change anything about, about my high school experience, even if it meant I, you know, could have, I, yeah, I wouldn't mm -hmm. change anything. Yeah. Was your career at UNI, was it, uh, was it more than you bargained for or expected? Because, uh, I mean, it sure turned into something pretty big. Was it, uh, did you expect that coming in? Or at the end of your career, were you like, boy, this really turned into something pretty special? <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was definitely uh, more than I ever could have imagined. I mean, I certainly, 
I certainly, you know, appreciate and am proud of the individual accomplishments. But, you know, when I look back, it's really, it's all about those first two conference championships. You know, I went to a school that had a really rich history, uh, but never had won the conference tournament. So they had that glass ceiling. I never played in the NCAA tournament. Um, and so I'm, you know, very proud to have been a part of, of the program when we were able to, to change that. Um, and as far as, you know, my, my sort of path, like obviously even the individual accomplishments can't be had without being surrounded by amazing people and teammates and coaches and all the things. And I just feel very lucky that, um, you know, I was, I was blessed with all of those things. And then of course, you know, I never would have imagined being there for six years and getting hurt twice and medical redshirting two separate times. Um, and at the time, that's also something that, I mean, I remember after, well, after both of them where it was like, I can't believe this. And you feel like it's the worst thing ever. And of course, looking back, it's like, I wouldn't change that either. Mm -hmm. You know, like when I tore my ACL after heading into my fifth year and I was just like, couldn't believe it and all the things, it's like, I still look back now and I'm like, you know what? There is always, even if we can't see it in the moment, even if we can't see it in a year, at some point in life, there's always a time I feel like where you look back and you're like, yeah, like that happened for a reason. And X, Y, Z number of things wouldn't have happened had that not happened. Um, and so never in a million years would have dreamt up kind of the path I took and, and, um, and certainly some of the accomplishments along the way. Um, but definitely very proud to, to be a part of a program that has continued to succeed. And I mean, if you look back at the last half, I mean, Coach Warren's still there uh, in postseason every year, extremely successful. Uh, and I'm just kind of, you know, proud to be a part of that. What was the, for, for you, from your perspective, what was the fan support like at UNI? Was it, uh, was it better or worse or just the same as like other Missouri Valley schools or places you've played before? I mean, what was the fan support like at UNI? Um, I think that's something that we saw grow over the years. And, you know, it definitely wasn't necessarily something from day one that was like, you know, a huge built-in thing, like, you know, at Hilton Coliseum for Iowa State, for example. I mean, they're just known across the country uh, for their fan support. But it, it's something that really grew over the years. And some people that I'm still in touch with today, like on Facebook, you know, I met as fans in the stands at our games. And the people that, you know, from day one were, were there and supporters all the way through when we made it to the NCAA tournament and beyond. And so it's definitely, you know, it might be smaller than, you know, some other places, but um, meaningful. There's so many faces coming to my mind right now that I knew I would see every game. And that was really special. Um, um, and I think, you know, we'll only continue to grow. Uh, you're, you're, I think, a pretty humble person, and so uh, you might have some difficulty answering this question, but um, looking back, I, I mean, it's hard to think of somebody who could be defined as the GOAT of UNI women's basketball other than Jackie Kalen. Um, what's, what's that like in your book to know kind of like that you're still somebody who's seen as like, you know, probably the biggest name that the program's ever produced? Thank you. Um, it, it, this one is a difficult one for me and I don't even mean to say it as like, um, like, 
I'm I'm very humbled. I am grateful to to to. I see you're making me speechless. <laughs> <laughs> um, here here's what I'll say is I I have to just always come back to like it's a team sport and nobody's a goat by themselves and whatever people that exist in their, the, as the leader of their sports, whether it's, you know, Michael Jordan or LeBron James or whoever, I guarantee you everybody in conversation at some point will come back to pointing the fingers back towards everybody around them. And, um, you know, one of the things that comes to mind a lot for me that I use as an example is, even as individualized as an award it was to um, kind of lead the nation in free throw percentage my senior year and to, um, you know, set a lot of records in that, even something like that, I had coaches willing to stand there and rebound for me every single day for hours. And like, yes, I asked for it and I chose to do it and I put in the time, but without that, it would have been a lot more difficult. And so even the most individualized award has, has, you know, other people involved. And so then we expand out, you know, to the player of the year awards and this and that and whatever. And it's like, yeah. And you know, you don't get player of the year when you're on the worst team in the league, no matter how good you are. And so I'm always, I mean, I'm going to smile and appreciate and, and, you know, try to um, take, you know, some credit for, for the hard work and effort that I personally put into it. But I, I can't do that without um, sharing the love with everybody I played with and played for because um, it's a lot of work. And, you know, I got into coaching and I didn't stay in coaching, but um you know, I experienced the, the, the sacrifices that they make for the experiences that we get to have. And so I, I have to just come back to talking about all of that stuff when this stuff comes up. <laughs> well, I appreciate you doing your best to answer that question. So thank you. Um, what, when you finished at UNI, did you have any aspirations of um, WNBA or did you know that, you know, overseas basketball is kind of your, your ceiling? Yeah, I, I was pretty realistic with myself and my athletic abilities um, that, you know, the WNBA wasn't necessarily where where I was going to have the most opportunities, but did feel like I could play overseas and wanted to. Um, I do think, you know, I, I only played for two years. I know that surprised a lot of people. I think sometimes people forget um, the two medical redshirt years. So I, I actually participated in all six pre-seasons mm -hmm. and all five post-seasons so my injuries came right before both years the season started which meant my body went through you know two additional years um so even though I only played for two years it was like my body was as, as if I played for four post-college um and so that was you know something that when I so I kind of jumped ahead to answer your question like I knew uh, if I had the opportunity that I wanted to continue playing, I also knew that, you know, my body already after my sixth year was, uh, you know, hurting. And I, you know, I grew up in a family that loves to ski and I wanted to be able to do that when I was older. And I wanted to be able to hike and run and play basketball for fun when I'm older. And so I never wanted to play so long that I wasn't going to be able to use my body afterwards. And so even going into my first year of overseas, um, you know, it was something where it was like, I can't not take this opportunity if I have it, um, but wasn't necessarily sure what that looked like. And that 
those two years were, were again, you know, I think especially in the clubs I played for in Israel, surprised people when I walked away from it. Um, but it was important to me that I walked away at a time where I felt like my body was still uh, healthy enough to like live the lifestyle I wanted to live when I was done. I was going to just ask about why, why you ended up in Israel. Was it mostly because you're Jewish that you went there, or was that the best opportunity that uh, was offered to you at a UNI? Great question. The answer is both. Mm. So, um, as a you know, a Jewish athlete who didn't necessarily have a heavily Jewish experience um, it, at UNI, it was like a huge opportunity and exciting opportunity to go there. It also made the most sense because um, so Israel, there there are different levels of leagues overseas, right? And like Israel is a, a high level league um there are the americans who play on the team are from the wnba um they so so i had the ability as a jewish athlete to get an israeli passport and i don't know how much it is or isn't talked about but any americans who go play overseas if you're able to get a passport in that country you don't count as an american and you can only have a certain number of americans on the court hmm. so depending on the country you can either only have two americans or maybe three in certain countries, it might be four, but um, there's always a limit to the number of Americans you have on a team. And so for that reason as well, it was like, if I wasn't Jewish, I actually don't know that I could have played in that league because there two, there's only two Americans on every team and they're from the WNBA. Mm -hmm. So I actually probably would have ended up in a lower level division, but I was able to play, you know, at a high level in a really good league because, um, while I wasn't necessarily quite as uh, good of a player as the American players, I was competitive and, um, you know, potentially a better player than some of the local players. And so that gave me an opportunity to play in a league. It's an interesting topic because as I got to know my Israeli teammates and learn their perspective of what that feels like to, you know, have American players essentially take their spot and not count was really interesting and, you know, had me thinking about the system and whether that's fair and how that works. And it's, it's not just Israel. I mean, it's everywhere. If somebody has a grandparent who's from Germany and they can get a, a German passport, um, you know, they're able to play in that league as a German player. Um, and it, it, it's one of those things that, you know, I became pretty sensitive to because here were my really close friends and teammates who were Israeli and depending on the year and how many American Israelis come and play, you know, they have less opportunities. And, and so, uh, I, yeah, I feel both good and bad about that situation, but of course I feel lucky that I had the opportunity to play in that league. It also was meaningful to me in the process in getting an Israeli passport, you know, for some basketball players, it might be just for the basketball. Um, but for me, I really tried to, to not have it be just about that because the reason why it, that exists and the ability to get the passport has nothing to do with basketball, right? It's like choosing um, to, it's called make Aliyah and to move to Israel. And so, you know, I took that seriously and that's why I signed up for Ulpan and wanted to learn the language and, you know, made my Israeli teammates speak to me in Hebrew and like wanted to, to have part of my experience 
be even without basketball, you know, choosing to move to Israel and, and, um, you know, live as an Israeli citizen for a couple of years. And I, that also gave me the chance to play on the Israeli national team for a summer, um, which was an incredible experience. And so those are some of the little things that were, uh, pretty cool things that came out of that. Is women's basketball big in Israel? I mean, were your games, you know, sold out or packed houses? Um, so basketball in general is, is big. They're like Maccabi Tel Aviv is a men's team and they are very, very highly followed. Um, Israel women's basketball is okay. It's not necessarily, I mean, it's definitely not where the men's side is at, but it's definitely still has a fan base and following. Whereas like some of my teammates who played in other countries, um, like Israel definitely had the support that those countries didn't. But what I will say, I, played in China for just a couple of weeks as part of a USA team when I was done playing at UNI and the the women's basketball following there is unreal mm. like like the for just the two weeks I was there the games that we played in were a hundred percent packed house and it was really really cool to mm. see um and I've heard that too from other players who have gone and played in China um that it that they have a really really cool women's basketball following wow interesting I'm curious about one another thing regarding Judaism I seem to remember and tell me if I'm wrong but I I seem to remember at you and I you did run with a circle of um Christian friends I I think at least I kind of associated with you with a group of girls that went to like Prairie Lakes Church and um Sarah Fitzgerald was somebody who I I remember yeah. you you were friends yeah. with back then and so um was that, I don't know if that, how to quite frame this question, but was that either a, you've probably been around a lot of Christians, but I mean, was that either an eye-opening experience or an interesting cultural experience for you at all to, for you guys to learn from each other? Or um, I, I don't know if there's, there's anything there that stuck out to you uh, as far as from a religious standpoint from your time in college. Sure. Well, so you mentioned Sarah Fitzgerald, who is just such a gem. Mm -hmm. And I actually remember early on, having kind of a great conversations with her because, um, you know, before I got there or when I was there, whatever, there was a tradition before games to do chapel. And it was where, you know, for like 20 minutes, you know, Fitz or somebody would come in and it was, was before a game and, you know, talk about a story from the Bible or whatever that looked like. And, um, you know, talking about whether I was comfortable with that or if I wanted to be there or didn't be. And, and I think, those conversations where I always stood was like, you know, and I, I always want to be a lifelong learner. And, and I think that any opportunity we have to learn from each other um, is great. And we all felt that way. And, and I knew that I could be as involved or not involved as I wanted. I knew that was something that I wasn't going to say I didn't want happening because like it didn't bother me. Um, and I think there was some times where I would go and there was some time like as kind of an observer and support, but most times, you know, I think I ended up using that opportunity um, either out on the court by myself or, you know, doing something else that was fulfilling for me, but I was still very happy and glad that they were doing that for themselves. And so um, there were certainly times where, you know, we'd have great conversations and kind of, um, uh, in the end, it was always just in wanting to make sure that everybody felt comfortable and that nobody felt like they had to go to something or weren't allowed to go to something. It was always, you know, everybody's welcome. 
and you know this is what we're doing and if you want to be here great and if you don't that's okay too and so there were players who weren't Christian um, who went and who didn't go and vice versa and it was just actually great to be able to provide an example where like we can all pick and choose and you know as long as everybody feels comfortable um, understanding that that it wasn't a requirement. I'm going to dig into something a little bit more personal if you don't mind so uh, you're you're a you're a lesbian is that uh, the right terminology to use here I don't know if there's a different way that you'd identify yeah I, I appreciate you asking the question I identify um, as gay mm-hmm. uh, lesbian isn't necessarily wrong it's it's you know it's actually a term I don't use hmm. I don't know I I want to be clear that like I don't speak on behalf of anybody else and so it's not that I'm gonna say to you like you shouldn't use that word um, I have not. I have less positive associations in my mind with how the word lesbian has been used. Hmm. And so I just identify as like a gay Jewish person mm-hmm. or like a, um, you know, the, I more than anything, I, I really, you know, I will introduce my wife. I will introduce myself as a person. Um, but I actually, again, I, I'm probably different than most, but I don't love labels period. Mm -hmm. And so if I have to use one, I'm going to, I'm going to say I'm, I'm a gay person. Um, but for me, lesbian is one that I definitely don't use just because I think in history it's, it's been used in a way that is triggering for a lot of people. And so I guess I hadn't heard that before. I haven't heard somebody speak to that before. Um, are, are you able to expound on that a little bit more about why why that is a triggering word for some people or why that's that has a negative uh, uh, association kind of in your mind? Um, you know, I, I don't know that anything would be... Like, somebody else could answer the question and say that they are triggered by the word gay or they are... Like, I think everybody has their own story and I think, like... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good question. I actually went through a period of time where I was like, you know, maybe all that needs to be known is that I consider myself a queer person. And because like queer encompasses everything, Mm -hmm. right? If you're gay, you're lesbian or, 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 or just non, you know, I don't know if non-conforming is the right word to non-traditional, whatever. But um, to answer your question, I don't think that there's like a particular example or reason why that lesbian, the word should or shouldn't be used because somebody could give a different example of a different word and nobody's right or wrong. I think it's just people's individual comfort level. Um, And for me, I just never really feel like there needs to be a difference it, just because I'm a girl or a guy though you know the term gay is the same thing and so like the, a girl doesn't need a separate term for that but sometimes I also go down the the rabbit hole of like we don't need any of the terms and it's just if we needed something that specifies being different than um than straight then you know that's I don't know. I, I, this is again, more of a, a separate conversation, but sometimes I think we, we can go around in circles in a lot of ways of like, you know, do I need to introduce myself with or without these certain terms, you know, d- mm-hmm. depending on, on the reason why somebody's wondering. Um, but to answer your question, I mean, sometimes I think, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Did I answer your question? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It, it was just interesting that you said that just because I had not heard that before. Obviously, like 
Um, lesbian is an acceptable term. I mean, it's part of the, you know, uh, LGBTQ like yeah, verbiage. Absolutely. And so I was like, I just hadn't heard that uh, mentioned before. Yeah. Well, and that's exactly why also like I don't want or need to shed light on, on it being a negative term because it's, it's not for mm-hmm. a lot of people. And as yeah. you said, LGBTQ includes the word lesbian. And so it's, it's more so one of those things that's like, am I offended absolutely not of course it's just like do i use it with myself no because i'm just comfortable being like yes i'm gay and Mm. you know that is what it is but um like you said yeah there's no right or wrong and so that's why i I also wanted to make sure i'm saying i'm not speaking on behalf of the term Mm -hmm. period because the next person could could feel totally different uh how old were you when you came out were you in high school college or was it later it was actually after my last year at UNI, so after my sixth year. Um, so I was a bit a bit older um, in terms of my story and my journey. Although, like, what does that even mean? You know, some people might figure it out for themselves or, or whatever when, you know, you're 50. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, there's no right or wrong with that either. But uh, I say that in comparison to, like, my wife who, you know, came out when she was, like, 12. Wow. Um, that, you know, we were, we have very, very different uh, youth experiences. And, uh, but for me, um, the time in which I was ready, uh, well, the time in which I realized it and then was ready to, to do that and to share with others um, was after my sixth year of college. Okay. And I, I guess I don't know how much that is. I mean, with different different religions handle that differently. And so I don't know what that's like in Jewish culture, like if, if being gay is, you know, either taboo or frowned upon or, I mean, especially then going over to Israel at that time, if that was, if that made it more difficult or, or if that was, if that made a difference at all. Um, no, I actually feel very lucky, at least in the Jewish religion and in Israel. Uh, I can't speak, obviously, for like conservative and orthodox branches, but in in reform Judaism and um, in uh, the community of people that that I was a part of, um, it wasn't, you know, frowned upon at all. And, you know, a lot of my Israeli teammates and friends either were gay or had gay friends. And, um, like, t- uh, pride in Tel Aviv is the biggest pride in the world. Really? Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I, I got to attend one summer. It was in, or one year it was incredible, but yeah, there is a very, very big population, um, in, in Tel Aviv and, um, in my, you know, the, where I connect to Judaism and in, in my sort of world, um, I feel very lucky that like religion was never something that made that uncomfortable. Was that something where you, um, I mean, had you always kind of had an inclination? Like, I mean, was it something that you realized kind of late in your college career or was it something that uh, went back to, you know, high school or middle school or earlier? Um, it definitely did not go back that far. I probably... You know, I, I, it, 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 I didn't have an inclination until late. I mean, I dated a guy uh, for a few months. I think it was like my fourth or fifth year in college. Um, I didn't date a lot, period. I was very just driven in school and basketball. And, um, you know, people used to joke. Uh, I think it was like from the Love and Basketball movie where they, like, you're in love with Spalding or whatever, you know, because I just like, I, 
I wasn't super social. And um, so I really didn't date much, period. Didn't put a lot of thought to it, period. And then, um, you know, dated a guy, like I said, for a few months and just didn't really feel anything, didn't really know anything. And then, honestly, it it was just sort of kind of a slow recognition and and talking to a, a couple of friends who... Um, who I knew were gay and just asking some questions and kind of going through my own process of asking questions and figuring out like, well, like, how do I know? And, and this and that, and, um, you know, having really not been with a lot of people period, um, you know, it, it, it was just kind of my own journey of recognizing, um, you know, what, who and what I was attracted to. And so I, my first relationship wasn't and uh, with a girl wasn't until um my last year in college um and even then it was still it wasn't like I had this big secret it was like I was still figuring myself out like I had only you know really dated one or or two people before that and um even with this relationship it, it was like well I don't know for sure I know that I like this person right I don't have a lot of experience Um, but I'm not going to worry about whether it's a boy or girl. It's just, do I like this person? And the answer was yes. And, you know, so I started dating that person. Um, and that was somebody that, you know, I didn't tell people about right away because like I said, I was still figuring that out for myself. Um, and that was throughout my last year of college. And it was, you know, after dating her for a long enough period of time where, you know, I wasn't somebody that kept a lot of secrets or had a lot of things to hide. And so it, you know, I didn't like the feeling of like not being open about that, but I, I, I wasn't because I was still figuring myself out. And when I got to the point, you know, I think it was about a year where I was like, okay, like I, I love this person and you know, whether I think even then it was like, I don't care if I'm gay or not gay. I just, here's a person that I'm dating and I want people to meet this person. And so that's kind of how I originally approached it. And after that relationship ended, I was in that relationship for two and a half years and I was overseas the time in my second year uh, when that relationship ended, even after that relationship, there was still a little bit of like, okay, like, you know, am I, what, what's next? Um, And I think, through that period, I, I realized and was more comfortable um, as I, I knew I was attracted to women and that's where I felt most myself and whatever that, you know, I was comfortable, um, you know, calling myself gay, but even circling back to our original conversation, it's why, like, I, I rarely get caught up in those labels because it's at the end of the day, like, I have fallen in love with or really like people for who they are as people. And, you know, for some people, it just happens to be somebody from the opposite sex and for other people it's the same sex and then there's groups of people that and this is not a conversation to get into now but whether it's bisexual versus pansexual I mean there are differences if I were to identify with any of them the most it's probably pansexual because it's like at the end of the day I don't care what gender somebody is I care what kind of person they are I care they're a good person and if I feel a connection to them and I love them um and for me you know it's it I'm gay because I've dated women and, and fell in love with one and married a woman. And, and so I'm not going to deny that I'm gay, but I also am very comfortable saying like, I would never say that, you know, if there was, if I would have met the perfect guy and felt the connection to him and felt that way in all aspects of, of a, of a relationship, the physical, the emotional, um, that I would have not pushed that away. And so, um, uh, 
you know, my coming out, I think something I'm really proud of is that, so my timing was just that I was comfortable and learned enough about myself that I wanted to share that towards the end, like at the end of my basketball career. Um, but I, I was a part of like a member, a student athlete in a university that, you know, was a lot of small town, Iowa, white kids that, you know, we didn't have a lot of diversity in a lot of different ways. And, um, you know, I, I knew of some, you know, former teammates who had kind of come and gone and who had come out after they had left and, you know, may or may not have, you know, been in relationships with women while they were playing at UNI, but weren't super comfortable being open about that. And that made me sad. And it, it wasn't that I felt like I couldn't, but I just, um, I remember having a couple of younger teammates that, you know, again, I come back to having role models and, and just needing to know that like, it's okay to be who you are. And it is scary in a place where nobody's been open and honest about that before, knowing that there were people who came and went that didn't feel like they could be who they were. So I actually did an activity with my teammates. It wasn't as a part of like you and I women's basketball. It was just at a friend's house with all of my teammates um, after my sixth year, just in that spring. And I don't know like where I got the idea. I don't even remember or, or why, but I, I just, I did this activity where I, on a piece of paper, um, basically put objective words to, to describe a person and then asked them to give me all the stereotypes about that person. And so um, one of them said like straight A student um, like sits in the front row of every class, you know, uh, like something that depicted your classic, like school nerd that, you know, was just very driven and, and I made them. So, so though all the things that I wrote were objective, but then I said, okay, so is this person like, is, are they a boy or a girl? What kind of clothes do they wear? Um, I made them and I said, it's, okay to think stereotypes but like describe me what this person looks like what's their race what's their gender what is you know and then so that was one and then another one was um gay enjoys hanging out you know at uh the local gay bar um you know a pick a, a description of a person um just by the nature of that and then have them describe to me what that person looked like what gender they were what clothes they wore and then I did, and uh, there was four total. I think the third one was um, uh, Jewish, uh, owns a gas mask, spends time in the Middle East, like something related to that. And then the fourth one, I have to go back and look, but they were wildly different, but all objective. And and the, they, they described to me four completely different human beings. Like it couldn't have gone any more perfect because there was like two boys and two girls. They dressed all different from each other, all of these things. And at the end of it, I said every single word at the top, description of the people were true to me. I was, it was a true, everything that I had written in all four papers um, was a true statement for me. And it was like, whoa, you know, it was that moment of like, wait, what? And then it was like, for them, me teaching the realization of like, you know, there's, there was always locker room talk where, you know, oh gosh, I'm 
glad we don't have any gay people on our team because I'd be scared that they were looking at me in the shower or, you know, things that people would say. And so when I did this activity, I was like, were y'all ever thinking that when I was, when we were showering? Of course not. Right. Because that's not how it works. And it's easy to learn when they've been through the experience with me and now can look back and be like, Oh, versus, um, you know, the opposite or the things we all think or tell ourselves. And so it was really neat because it was a way for, for, uh, it was a very young team. It was like mostly freshmen and sophomores and then me and maybe like a couple of other seniors. Um, and it was a way for just kind of sort of a wake up call of like, you know, we have all, we're very as humans, easy to, to draw stereotypes to different people and think that, you know, people are thinking or doing different things. Um, but you guys know me and that, that wasn't the case. And so, you know, let's start to question. Um, and I think what was really neat is two teammates after that, that week reached out privately and were like, you know, I've, I've struggled in my first two years here. I, I am in a relationship with a girl and never felt like I could tell anyone and never thought I would be able to tell anyone. And they ended up in their own time um, coming out to their friends and got to live out the last couple of years uh, on, on their team who they were and not hiding something. And that's what I think sometimes like even makes me a little emotional is like just role models, you know? Um, so I, I think that's powerful, I suppose, is like, you know, there's still so many places where people don't feel comfortable because it, it is scary. And, you know, not everybody, like, I was a very successful student athlete. And so I, I, I could do that. I could open up at the end of my career. I didn't have anything to lose at that point. And, you know, not everybody has that opportunity or, um, you know, has, like, I remember thinking too, like, I, I don't know, There's, again, this is, this is uh, another area, but I, I just think, um, you know, sometimes things are easier said than done and the power of just having a role model and somebody to say like, you know, it doesn't matter. And the things that people say behind the locker doors are are things are stereotypes and things that aren't going to change unless we help each other understand that there there's not truth to those and um and so that that's definitely something I'm proud of because I think since then at least I don't know about other schools but I I'm proud that that the program that I left and since then I think is more true to who they are because the people on the team just aren't afraid to be who they are because we got past that period of time where it was like, don't ask, don't tell. Um, yeah. And there's no one person to blame for it. It's just, it was a, you know, um, that's just the way things were yeah. until otherwise. Yeah. You, you kind of lead into what was going to be my next question about um, transgender athletes in sports and uh, you're a great person to ask, have, having been somebody who's competed at the college level and who still is uh, active in uh, broadcasting sports, I know. So um, any kind of opinions you want to share on that as far as, uh, I mean, it's, it, of course, it's obviously transgender women is the, is the biggest conversation about it. Um, so any, any thoughts on that about um, if, if you ha have somewhere that you land on that, if there is, uh, if there is a hard, fast rule that you take or, um, I don't know, any sort of position that you, you take on the matter? Right now, it, it, this, there is not uh, this big 
um, threat or effort of a bunch of male athletes looking to get ahead and become female to win, right? Like, that's not what this is about. And if that's not what this is about, then, like, sports is just a tiny branch of these kids' lives, and they want to participate in sports no differently than, than you know, their peers. And so, you know, I do have a harder time making any sort of blanket statements versus the case-by-case basis. Now, I understand that case-by-case is more work, right? And it's like the more cases there are, the more, the more work, the more time, the more energy. Um, but I do think while the, the numbers aren't showing us that there's, you know, this big threat that something is occurring for the wrong reasons and for, um, you know, I, I think a case-by-case is, you know, maybe makes sense. Again, I'm, I'm hesitant to even give an answer because I also know there's, there's a, probably an argument and a good lens to look through against that. And I think at the end of the day, whatever decisions are made, um, remembering to think about if it's not something that's by a case by case basis, each person that falls underneath this rule is still a person, right? Person by person and making sure that we're not losing sight of that. And that's where I think sometimes I, I got sad when, you know, some things came out where it's like the fairness to, you know, all these girls and we have come a long way, um, in, especially Iowa has been a leader, you know, forever in terms of girls sports and, and, I don't, I don't think it's necessary to point those two against each other. Like, let's celebrate how far female sports has come. I could point to this group of people and say, similarly to the way girls didn't have opportunities way back in the day, and we're proud that they have these opportunities now, you know, these are a, new, a, a group of people who are wanting opportunities. And um, again, my, I always come back to science, and I'm like, okay, you know, a male body – does, you know, is, is, would be unfair to participate in female sports, but that's not what this is. There is a very long, intense process that these kids go through when they transition. And I think sometimes that's lost in the conversation. It's not like one day they woke up and said, I'm going to go out for girls basketball because I could be better instead. Right. Like that's, that's, and so I, I, I think it's too easy to just make it that black and white and, and make it about that when there are so much more that these kids are going through, so much more that has gone into their decision to be who they are and go through the process of what it takes to get to that point, both physically and mentally. And if they do that and they've gotten themselves to that point, then I, I, you know, I do believe they, they also deserve the fair equal opportunities that we were given as girls. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm not ever great at like taking a side or giving an answer because like I said, I'd be, I'd always said I'd be horrible at debate because I'm very, uh, I like to be a listener and absorb and understand all sides of arguments and then try to find the common ground. I think in all of the work I do, sometimes I joke, even in my job at Herzl camp, like sometimes I call myself like a professional um, bridger of gaps. Like I just, I like to bridge gaps. I like to help people connect in, in especially groups of people that otherwise wouldn't connect. Um, and I think that's maybe something that Sarah and I have found unique and special about where we live is that, 
you know, we're, we come from a place of curiosity. We ask questions, we're patient and we try to, um, bring people together. And, and, and the only way to do that is by being open and willing to listen and to understand and look through all lenses and perspectives. And sure, sometimes that's having conversations with people that, you know, only want to share their own. Um, and other times it comes with listening to theirs and then sharing another one and, and opening each other's eyes. And, um, you know, it's not, it's not all, they all conversations don't end well, all conversations don't end horribly, you know, but the only way that I think, whether it's politics or otherwise that we will grow as a population and it is, is being able to have conversations and listen and hear and see all of the different see through all of the different lenses well i think you answered that question fairly and uh you're, you're not going to get canceled by anything that you answered here so i don't, I don't you won't have any protesters outside your shop so i think you're safe um <laughs> let's uh let's let's get let's get uh moving forward kind of into where you are today and uh, and what what's happening in your life right now so for, first tell me about you and your wife how long yeah. you guys have been together how you guys met and all that stuff you bet so we got married last October, um, October 10th, 1010, which makes me smile just because 10 was my uh, basketball number. And Sarah knows I love that number. And uh, that ended up, I, we actually got, I proposed to her the year before on 1010. So 1010 um, is kind of a special date for us. And uh, so in a nutshell, uh, we met in Des Moines, I think very early 2019 you know she had started her own leather business i think in 2014 and dabbled with that full-time for a little while but had gone back to the corporate world um but she had walked away for good um around the same time that we met and so she had left everything you know that she had built up for herself and kind of the society dream job of making it to the top. She was like one of the youngest man like managers in her position in the entire company she had walked away from that i had like made it to division one coaching at a very young age, made it to the top, you know, in quotes, uh, the dream job again, through society's lenses. And we both weren't happy. And, um, so long story short, we had left those worlds and eventually decided to sell all of our stuff. And we moved into a converted van and she had her leather business and I had my mobile coffee bar and we traveled anywhere from Iowa to California doing markets and shows. So it was the two of us and two dogs in this converted van. And honestly, you know, we had a dream of one day starting a brick and mortar business uh, where we merged the two, but it was, we had talked about one day um, starting brick and mortar, but that was far down the road and we didn't have any clue of where it would be or what we'd be doing. Um, and then the pandemic happened and, um, that whole world went away, sort of the, the, how we ended up where we are now, I suppose I skipped one tiny piece, which was before Sarah and I met in 2018, it was literally right after I did the Des Moines storytelling event where I shared what it was like walking away from basketball. I didn't really know what I wanted to do next. Um, my, the, the direct camp director at Herzl camp was my counselor when I was a camper and she saw this story and reached out to me and was like, Hey, you know, you know, just 
watched your video really meaningful also wanted you to know like if you want to come back up to camp next summer and do a little basketball clinic or work up here um you know we'd love to have you back and i hadn't been there in 15 years since i was a camper i never went back on staff because of basketball and um so i did go back up there that summer um and um you know there's a, a house that the camp owns that's not on camp property but uh connected and we had kind of made a deal with them where that would be um you know our like they needed somebody to live in it for insurance purposes we needed a home base and an address for van life and so uh when the pandemic happened we i think the funniest part of the story is we like parked the van up by this house to wait it out so it was like our home base we like had a few things stored there uh never intended on living there but the pandemic happened we we're like okay let's drive up you know to webster um i'll continue doing some work remotely for them and we'll just wait this out thinking like oh a couple weeks in this pandemic will pass oh a couple of months in this pandemic will pass like hilarious looking back now because we all know that's not what happened <laughs> um and then I got furloughed and started bartending and serving at the local bar across the street and bartending like my teammates that I remember telling were like dying laughing because I was sort of I never drank until I was like 25 years old like I never went you know it just wasn't my background and in my nature so I don't know a dang thing about alcohol or beer or anything now I have like a, a bartending job it was so funny it was also where I met a lot of people that you otherwise would never put in a room together um or I was commonly the first gay person or the first Jewish person that these people met. Um, but they got to know me as a person first. And then I would, you know, mention my, you know, girlfriend or fiance or now wife. And, um, you know, thankfully, like I'm a people person. And so they, they, we already had a good relationship. So when they hear that, it wasn't like, it was just more of like an intrigued and surprised and asked questions. But um, I was able to, to sort of be that first person that people met and have a good experience meeting. Um, and so how the coffee shop works into the picture is pretty amazing because it's basically fall of 2020. One day we just decided and we don't go actually look at anything very often, but there was a piece of land and we were just intrigued by it. And so we, you know, contacted the realtor and um, we were just telling this lady like, yeah, one day, you know, we want to open a brick and mortar. She's like, there's a place, there's a place that you just have to see. It's not listed. It's for sale by owner. A friend of a friend told me about it. I think you should look at it. She took us to this place, which I'm sitting in now. So never would have imagined it or guessed it, but we went home that night and talked and, you know, talked about how like, there's a reason people retire up here. The North woods, uh, where we're located is really special. And, um, yes, small town, uh, but close enough to the twin cities and Duluth and some other areas. And we had fell in love with the people in the community. And we were like, you know what, this, this, this could be, this could be it. And so we ended up purchasing it, spent over a year and a half nights and weekends because we worked full time for Herzl camp, um, taking it, taking the entire place back to its bones. And I think what's really special about this place is a lot of the people who taught us things or who like donated their tools or helped us along the way were just people I met through being a server at the bar. So slowly but surely, we built out this dream of ours, this coffee shop, and we opened to the public on March 25th, so just one month ago. Um, we're currently open only Friday through Sundays because we do still work full-time for Herzl. Again, Herzl's been very patient and flexible as, as we've, you know, continue to navigate it. So 
I hope that answered your question. I know I took you on a long journey to get to today, but yeah. Um, well, I was going to say you did probably answer some of my future questions along the way. Originally, I asked about uh, just how you and Sarah met, and so you kind of t- <laughs> took me through uh, through a lot of the process there to get to today. Um, last week, before we got off the phone, uh, you mentioned that. Uh, Sarah had converted to Judaism um, when you guys, I don't know if that was right when you guys got married or before that, but what what really went into that conversation or how, how did that yeah. all uh, come about? Yeah, so I would love to talk a little bit more about Sarah, especially since I steered into our entire path when you first asked about us meeting, but um, she, she is something else. She is so incredibly special. I, uh, when we met, so as I mentioned, um, you know, she, she wasn't Jewish. She didn't grow up super religious. Although I think one of my, fir- my first time meeting her family, I went to her family Easter. Um, and so the, 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 where the Judaism piece comes in, you know, I think that it, it was never something I asked her. It was never something I expected of her. Um, what I, one thing I, I, there's a million things I love about Sarah. One thing I love is her curious mind and her desire to just read and learn and grow. And she had always sort of been fascinated by or interested in the Jewish religion. Um, but as she was introduced to Herzl camp and got to know Herzl and spent, you know, a couple weeks in the first summer, then all of the, uh, of an additional summer, um, and really dove more and more into Judaism. She realized it was something that she was passionate about. And, you know, converting to Judaism is not easy. Uh, it is not a religion that is, you know, people where there are people going around trying to get people to convert. It's actually the opposite. It's a very difficult process. And, you know, you have to go through literally like a year of studying and a lot of different processes to eventually convert. Uh, but Sarah was interested in that. And again, it never came from, from me. And one of the coolest parts of our relationship is I actually grew close back, like back towards the religious side of Judaism through Sarah, because as I mentioned in living with Israel, I was very Jewish and connected to it, but not religious. It was not until I met Sarah and like she would be reading and studying and be like, did you know? And like telling me something from the Torah. And I'd be like, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> and that's really interesting. And she actually, it's sometimes a running joke that like people who convert are to Judaism know so much more than most of us who, you know, grew up Jewish, but didn't necessarily invest in the religious side. And uh, so I actually love that I, I've grown closer through her. Uh, but so she went through, uh, she had a, a, a rabbi who worked for Herzl camp, um, who she partnered with, uh, with also with two or three other, um, people who were going to go through the conversion process as well. They had like a study group once a week for a year where they would do all of their studies. And then eventually part of the process of converting to Judaism is meeting, um, in front of like a council of rabbis and, um, the final kind of step is the mikvah, which is, you know, a very traditional, um, experience. And that she did, and we did together, like, two days before our wedding so that would have been back this past october we went to the twin cities um she did the mikvah there's also sometimes a tradition where before you get married the two people will do it together so she did it first 
as part of her conversion. And then we did it together and it's like dipping in water and saying certain prayers. Um, and, and then that next day we drove up to Webster and we actually, um, had our, our ceremony and got married, um, up here on the Herzl property, but kind of in our own space, just, we wanted to be in nature. And I was just for immediate friends and family, our immediate family, and just a, a couple of friends, we kept it very small, but it was very special because that whole weekend included her conversion in addition to yeah. our wedding ceremony. Was there, was there any sort of like, um, I guess, I don't know, but when you guys were talking about getting married, was there like an obligation of any kind for her to convert to Judaism? Like, was that something where you felt like uh, you guys had to be on the same uh, kind of religious page um, to be married? Or was that just something that she wanted to do to kind of be part of your world? Um, I think neither. So definitely it wasn't that, you know, I needed that or we felt like we needed that to be able to get married. It also wasn't her doing it for me was it was something she wanted and you know of course for me like that was really special and unique and I loved it and embraced it but I would have married the girl you know with or without her converting um it that wasn't something that I felt like I needed her to do in order to get married she didn't go through that process for me or because she felt like she had to to for us to get married it was something that she was passionate about and um you know, it was just perfect that, like, of course I would embrace that and love that and my family would love that um, because, you know, the, the Jewish religion is only getting smaller and um, the, the, the more people with interfaith marriages and the more, you know, so, so it's like, of course I celebrate it and want to consider us a, a Jewish family, but it was never like a requirement um, I think growing up, I when people would ask, do you have to marry somebody Jewish? I would always say, like, I never felt like I had to. I always said I want to, or I want to marry somebody Jewish. That if I were to raise a family, I'd want to raise a Jewish family. But I always said, you know, I could never say for sure because, you know, the person I meet and fall in love with, I don't know, right? Like, I can't, I don't, if I fall in love with the most perfect person in the world and it works for us and they weren't Jewish, I wasn't going to close that door. Um, but it was just, you know, a beautiful fit that the person I met also was very passionate and intrigued by the religion. And, um, was, it was just a beautiful thing that that's what she wanted and that's what we are together. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe this too, without, without Sarah present, maybe this will be a hard question to answer. Maybe not. Um, was that was that particularly decision that was hard on uh, her family at all? I mean, you mentioned that you get that she her family must celebrate Easter that you guys had met. Was that difficult for them to have her convert to a different religion? I don't think so. And I, you know, Sarah would be the right person to answer that question. Um, but Sarah's family isn't super religious, and so you know, I think that they were just happy for her that she met you know somebody that she loved and she wanted to do this for herself and, you know, for our, our relationship, but, um, there was never any negative, uh, energy or feelings towards us and towards that. I, I think, you know, they've just been nothing but supportive of our relationship and, um, us, you know, being there for each other. Um, and so again, you know, Sarah would be the right person to answer that question, but, uh, her family is wonderful and I've, you know, never felt anything negative from them towards her decision to convert. 
um, and instead just like support that that's something that she has found a connection to. Sure. Um, do you do, do you do you guys plan on uh, uh, having kids or anything someday? Um, currently, I mean, currently, no. I would. I I don't think it'd be fair to like answer yes or no for sure. Um, I know we are very happy right now, the two of us with our two dogs starting a business. Um, you know, I, I've always said I want to be like the awesome aunt that, you know, visits her, uh, well, now our nieces and nephews both on her side and my side and be that person that can come in and, and give our siblings as a break and get to hang out with the nieces and nephews and, and do that. Um, I would never close the door either way. Um, I think we can't predict what life brings and, you know, what's important to us now versus later. Um, right now, I, I think we're both very, you know, content and excited about the path and journey that we're on. Um, and we'll see where that goes. You've mentioned a few times in this conversation the the area of Wisconsin that you guys are in right now and the, the small town vibe kind of and um, yeah. just the, the very different dynamic of, of you and your wife's lifestyle compared to the rest of the community that you're in. Has yeah. that been, I mean, you've spoken about it uh, pretty positively, I guess, just saying that, you know, people have been very accepting and stuff. Ha has it been a mm -hmm. largely positive experience? Have there been any hardships along the way? Or do you feel like you've had a mostly positive uh, time through this? Yeah. Um, great question. And I appreciate that question. And by no means has it been 100% positive. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a positive person and we wouldn't have laid roots here had we not had these positive experiences, but I would be lying if I said that um, there weren't the bumps uh, and scarier or sad uh, experiences along the way, um, but everything is part of the story and journey and I can share a couple of those with you. Um, first of all, I mean, when we first moved up here, when we used to go eat at the local bar that I ended up working at, I mean, I'll never forget the first few times walking in there. I mean, everybody's heads are like, who are they? <laughs> they don't belong here. Uh, and it was just awkward and, you know, we didn't know anybody, so we didn't talk to anybody and the, you know, the bartender served us, but it was just kind of weird and uncomfortable. But, and so until we actually, like I worked there and got to know people, um, you know, there was certainly the eyes that are like, they are not from here. And I wonder why they're here. Um, through bartending and serving, I, as many wonderful conversations as I ended up having with people, you know, from all across the board of political views and backgrounds and, and all of that, there were certainly a couple of experiences where, you know, at one point I had to excuse myself from the bar and like, you know, couldn't go back in uh, because it was around the time of George Floyd and uh, listening to a, you know, a couple of of white older men talk at the bar and some of the comments that came out of their mouth. And, you know, I, I always will pick and choose. And I, you know, as an employee, I'm not going to pick fights. Um, I'm going to ask questions. I think that's the best thing we can do sometimes is, is just ask questions. And so, you know, I did here and there, but it got to the point where it was very clear that, you know, again, I'm never trying to change somebody's mind. I'm usually trying to help everyone look through different lenses and it was clear that was not going to be the case for this person and then they made a, a couple of comments about what was happening with George Floyd and African-American people and um, black people and some things that was I, I, I literally just, and I'm not somebody to walk out from a job or anything like that but I 
you know, I couldn't hold back my emotions and I just excused myself and, um, really struggled through, you know, that. And, um, there, there were, so there was a few, there's been a few conversations where, um, you know, asking questions gets me far enough where, you know, a lot of times we can just agree to disagree and it's really healthy, but occasionally it's, it's really hard. And so there's been those moments for sure. Um, there's been some challenging comments that I, I will give Sarah and I some credit that I think a lot of people would really get upset or angry about that. We, we probably come from a more patient place and willing to kind of, I don't know if the right word is put up with some comments, but, um, we are patient and willing to like, kind of dive into some comments that are made to help, you know, people think through them. And usually it goes really well and occasionally it's, it's not, but I do think of one situation in particular, um, that's a very negative experience, but even that turned positive in the end was, um, we, Sarah and I were, this was actually pretty recently. We were, we love antique shopping or like uh um, thrift shopping and when we used to travel in our van it was like the thing to do when we were traveling was like the newest you know antique or hidden gem sort of shop that we could find Uh, and there were some local ones around here that we had never been to before um and so one of the antique shops that's literally just a mile down the road smack dab in the middle between webster and siren so very close to herzl camp um we were just walking through this antique shop and get to the the kind of back portion of it and there is an entire section of Nazi memorabilia for sale and you know we kind of froze and in all of our time antique shopping like never seen this um we've seen this in museums but like not in a thrift shop for sale and um so you know, we had to make a decision in that moment. We were like holding a couple of things from the, you know, or a, a booth earlier in it. And we we're like, what do we do? Like, do we, we can't still buy this stuff. We can't like support this fight. Do we walk out? Do we ask questions? Like, what do we do right now? And I walked up to the front first and I, again, something I learned from Herzl camp is always coming from a place of curiosity. And so again, I just was like, I'm going to go ask questions. So I just went to the front and it wasn't the owner who was working. It was, you know, just an older woman. Um, and I said, Hey, like, I just, I have a few questions. Um, and then I told her what I, what I saw and she knew right away. Like she kind of threw her hands back and was like, some people love it. Some people hate it. Uh, it, you know, the, the seller and the owner believe that, you know, it's important and it's part of history. Um, you know, she kind of got defensive. And so I made sure she understood that like, Hey, like, it's okay. I just, I want to ask more questions, you know? And then I explained that, you know, I've seen this in museums maybe, but not in antique shops. And can you tell me more? And so she like told me about the seller and, um, a little more information. I was just like trying to navigate this. And by this time, Sarah had walked closer. Um, and then at one point, this woman made the comment of like, well, you know, it's some people have a taste for it. Others don't, whatever. But whenever somebody asks me to open the case, you know, I do always, I do always warn them, uh, I'll open it for you, but be careful. Cause Hitler might jump out at you. And, and she said this, and like in the way of like, I joke with people about this 
which is obviously not funny. Um, in her mind, that was like her way of just like making the conversation light and, and making this joke. And I have never been more proud of my wife because I sort of froze and was like processing what just came out of her mouth. Um, and Sarah, you know, closed the distance she was close enough to hear this and then came all the way up and was like I'm gonna be very honest with you that's not funny and here's why that's not funny and then she went on to tell her you know about Herzl camp about the community here um that we are very you know we're just a mile up the road you know our executive directors um you know parents and grandparents or we're in the holocaust like they're survivors and like um talked about what what the Holocaust was and what that means and having a Jewish camp literally a mile down the road and we are a part of this community. Um, and then also saying, you know, that joke, it's, it's not only, it's not, not fine. It shouldn't be said like that. Please, and then Sarah said like, please do not say that. That's not funny. And what I'm so proud of is like so many different things could have occurred from this. Um, this woman who could have just, been like you know f you guys like just leave whatever she she not only like was nodding and listening to sarah and sarah got a little emotional as she was speaking and this woman teared up as she was speaking and then basically said like wow you know i can feel in my soul like that this matters and this is important and i had no idea that what i was saying could be taken in a bad way and and it was just like an example of like here's somebody who just grew up in this community just didn't didn't necessarily i mean i don't know if the if ignorance is the word but like you know she 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 had never had any education around anything like this and she heard Sarah and was like, I, I won't ever make that joke again. And while it's not my decision of whether this stuff is here or not, you know, I won't say that. I won't say that. I won't make that joke. This, I'm so glad you said something. And like, we all hugged it out at the end. And here was this person who like started out like, ah, it's that. Some people love it. Some people hate it. I don't know, whatever. And by the end, like we're, we're in a big hug and she's teary eyed because she's like, wow, like that's really meaningful and powerful. And just, I never would have known that somebody would take that the wrong way. And so it's like at the end of the day, you know, still to this day, I don't know what'll happen with that. And, and the owner wasn't there, the seller is not there. And, and, you know, we're not, we haven't gotten super involved with that whole situation since then. But I think it's a beautiful, small example of, you know, there's always a choice to make, we could have just walked out, we could have gotten very angry at this person who really doesn't have a huge part in that the fact that it's there um but i think just a nice example of of sometimes just giving each other an opportunity to not only ask questions but hear the other side or in different perspective and learn and grow um and so you know again that's one example there are quite a few and some of them that start negative and poorly and, you know, aren't great, but there have been enough either positive experiences or negative experiences turned positive um, that, you know, really have had us here feeling like we, we love it up here. And even though we are different, like we, we do feel confident in how we've been able to integrate into the community. And the, you know, the other thing I'll share. So 
I don't know if you've ever heard of a meat raffle. It's like a big thing in Wisconsin at local bars. Like it is what it sounds like. It is a meat raffle. We, there are organizations, it's all fundraisers, whether it's the local lions club or like a lake association, um, Friday or Saturdays, you know, bars will have meat raffles and literally somebody walks around selling raffle tickets. And when your number is called, you win meat. Like there's a bunch of meat in a cooler and you like it is the most bizarre foreign concept that then once you experience it and you're up here it's just like it's just part of the northwoods of wisconsin it's like meat raffles are a thing so for once a month for the past you know six months or so we will run the devil's lake association meat raffle and so it's kind of fun for me you know i get on the microphone and uh, a little bit of the broadcasting comes out in me you know where i'm like running this event um, but I bring it up right now because it never fails at the beginning of the night for anybody who's new in the bar. Cause it's, it's tourism. People come and go every weekend from cabins up here. And there's also the regulars who know us by now. Um, but at the beginning, you know, everybody's talking amongst themselves all across the bar. Uh, but when I get on the microphone, you know, I'll say, welcome, you know, to Bumps Bar. Uh, my name's Jackie. I'm here on behalf of Devil's Lake Association. And then I'll say, and this is my wife, Sarah. And without fail, every single time, it's like people are in conversations and then their heads go, did she just say wife? Like, right? Like that moment of what? And, you know, I, I, I talk through the moment and I'm like, welcome. This is going to be a blast. We're going to have some fun. I explain the meat raffle. And then part of the meat raffle is we walk around to every single person talking, selling the tickets, whatever. And by the end of the night, you know, people love us. And, and so it's like, it's beautiful because it's like, we've had people come up and say, like, ask some questions or, or whatever, but be like, you guys are awesome. Like, I'm so glad you're here. When are you going to be back next? We want to come back. And this is one hour after this awkward silence where everybody's like, wait, what? Like, is that what they just said? Are they together? Um, and so it's like, again, small examples where it's like, we're all human beings. You get to know people as people and you like them or you don't. And then you learn, you know, yeah who they're married to or what their political views are or whatever. And, you know, sometimes it can be impactful enough that people choose not to, to be friends with or, or communicate with people. But I think for us up here, it's just been a beautiful example of like, yeah, we might be gay and Jewish and, and the first person in that, you know, life that you've ever met or, or have different viewpoints or whatever, but we have great conversations. We are nice people. If you're nice, like, there's no reason why we can't get along and we can't have healthy conversations. And, um, so those are some of the fun, positive things that have, have come out of being in a small town and being different. Yeah. Looking at your life moving forward, I was going to ask about, you know, if you, if you wanted to stay there or if you wanted to remain in that community, is that, is that a reason why you guys might want to stick around there for a while is for the sake of helping make, you know, positive impacts in, in a place like this, where, uh, as, as you've mentioned a few times, um, people have not met a lot of uh, gay Jewish people before. Um, you know, I, I would definitely not say like we are staying here to do that. I think it's a beautiful, organic result of being here um, and definitely something really meaningful and special. And I think about so in some ways, I don't know if you've seen the show Shit's Creek. 
Um, but in some ways we are like a real life example of Rose Apothecary and of like David and Patrick and what they did in building out Rose Apothecary and being in that community. Um, but the reason I bring that up is, is after that show ended, there's this like kind of farewell kind of behind the scenes, um, episode that they did. And I, I think Levy was the one who talked about how, um, you know, there's, it's not ever about going in somewhere to change somebody's mind, right? It's like organic change that really sticks and that, that matters. And I think us, us laying roots here and, and us being here for the long term, you know, that was a decision we made because um, we fell in love with the North Woods and we fell in love with the, the community of people that we started to get to know and realized reside up here. And we fell in love with the opportunity that we had to, to build out our dream brick and mortar. And, and it's, it adds to the, the passion of being here that as a result, there's some really neat things occurring. And I, I think, you know, if, if our part of our experience had been, that the end result was just people making up bullying and making us feel uncomfortable, whatever, we wouldn't have fallen in love with living up here. Um, but because that wasn't the case, you know, I, to answer your question, we're not choosing to stay to make this impact. We're choosing to stay because like we're building on a life that we love up here and, and it's a huge, um, uh, I think thing that fills our cup, that one result of being up here is that there have been beautiful um, organic growth opportunities for us and for others. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, if, if to answer your question, it's like, it's, it, that's just more of like a, a result of, of choosing to stay here that we love and appreciate. Um, but I think the number one thing why we're choosing to stay is because, um, the majority of the population is either retired folks choosing to live here or tourists who have cabins up here who are from the Twin Cities. One of the things that we've talked about, having had the dream jobs from society standpoint in the corporate world, in the coaching world, and it's like, why wait until retirement to like live, build out and live out a life that we want like want to enjoy now and so rather than like you know living up in this beautiful part of the country when we retire or just on the weekends like we could build out our life here and be a part of this place right and like you know did we start crosshatch coffee company to like become millionaires no we're not like we're, you're not going to become a millionaire selling three cups three dollar cups of coffee we also aren't trying to become the next starbucks right but we are like it wanting to build something that can sustain itself and that can give us comfort enough to like live the lifestyle that we want to live while giving back to the community this is where what you asked about comes in with like having a positive impact which you know, brings everybody joy in certain ways. And so I think it was more of a decision of like, you know, it's, it's why, why wait to like build out and live a life that why, and like, why wait, why not build that out for ourselves now? And so it's, we've been trying to find that balance. And I think we're well on our way 
in what we've established here of like living out that balance. Well, as, as I kind of start to get uh, get this thing wrapped up, um, let me just ask about if there's any any ways in which people can kind of uh, either, I don't know, support you or, or help you guys out. Uh, I guess I don't even have a good idea right now of, of where exactly in Wisconsin you even are. So if somebody wants to whatever, either come and visit, yeah. uh, wh- wh- where do they go to do that? Yeah, well, thanks for asking. Um, so Crosshatch Coffee Company is the name of our business. Um, you know, we have our, our website, which again, all of the logo design, entire website build out, everything is done by Sarah. Uh, we are very much, um, she, I, she's, she's incredible. Uh, the website is crosshatchcoffeeco.com. Um, and, you know, part of our story is told on the website. We have a little page that that's talks about our story and I think there's um you know it's fun to have people visit that and of course following our story and journey on social media through um Facebook and Instagram you know we basically transitioned into that as Crosshatch um Crosshatch Coffee Co. Um we are located in Siren, Wisconsin. It is basically a it's a village but a small town located about an hour and a half northeast east of Minneapolis um it's a town of 600 so it's like if somebody were to be like you opened a business in a town of 600 like why would you do that you're crazy uh, obviously search went into it than that and between the number of people drive through during tourist season and then the number of people in the area during then which is primarily Memorial Day to Labor Day I mean it's thousands and thousands um so I would say, yeah, for anybody who is traveling, you know, north of the Twin Cities um, and around this way, like giving us a visit in Siren would be lovely. Um, we're currently only open Friday through Sundays. Uh, again, we'll navigate, you know, at the end of the summer with Herzl, what that looks like moving forward. Um, the, the, the first day we want to add on to our week is Mondays. Uh, we would love to be open on Mondays, and we've already had quite a few requests for that. Um, but uh, I'd say just kind of following our journey through our social media, um, we, we roast our own coffee beans in-house. And so, um, you know, we do a lot of that type of stuff. That's always a, a fun way to support. But I think, um, you know, in general, I think it's just like anybody else. It's just staying in touch, staying connected. It doesn't, the support doesn't even have to be through purchasing anything. It, it just, you know, giving us a shout or saying hello or writing on a post. And, um, I think when I, you know, when I would Sarah, for example, whether it's a personal post or a post through the business, like there's not, I always get the biggest smile on my face, you know, reading some of the comments and there are old teachers from my elementary school in Sioux city or there are, they're, you know, old teammates. And, and sometimes I think the cool part of just staying connected is that is our way of, of, of still communicating with people, even if we're not located in the same city anymore. Um, and so, yeah, just staying in touch is, is lovely and appreciated. Well, um, as I wrap it up, you know, one of the last things I like to do is kind of give uh, give a, a couple minutes where I like to at least uh, say some nice things about the person that I got to interview. So you'll, even as a humble person, you're going to have to sit through me complimenting you for a couple minutes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, it's it's really been great talking to you. I mean, this is probably the longest conversation we've had <laughs> by far. You know, most of our experiences in the past have been kind of in passing um, and so it's been really nice to uh, get a chance to talk to you and hear a lot more about your life. Um, you know, you were 
Uh, I, I, you may not even remember this, but I, I interviewed you once all the way back when you were in college. And I think I was just like an early, uh, you know, doing some uh, work at KWWL. Um, and I came out and did a story with you. And you, uh, <laughs> something I know you did a lot back then was you juggled on camera, <laughs> you know, with the basketball. And so I know. I, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> so I had you do that oh once too. God. And so you, you've just always been like such an easy person to to talk to and to interview, you know, from a TV standpoint, it's great to have somebody that's easy to talk to and gives good answers because that's great for being on camera. But just in general, as a person, you're always like very, very warm and friendly and easy to talk to. And um, I can see very much how that's going to be great, you know, that has been great in your life and will be great moving forward as, you know, again, like you said, uh, being an example of, uh, you know, maybe the first either Jewish or gay person that somebody can, comes in contact with that you get to be kind of that representative. Um, and I think that you're going to do a great job of that. And you're always going to be a fantastic uh, representative for for those communities. And so I'm excited for, um, you know, this this um, this area of Wisconsin that you're in and uh, anywhere that you you gals end up in the future that uh, they're really going to be blessed by having you in the community. And um, yeah, you're really just a great example for uh, for, um, you know, what what that should look like. And just in general, I think as a, as a human being, I think, you know, as you were talking about just looking at things open mindedly and not trying to win people over necessarily to your side of things and not getting political. I think that uh, a lot of people could um, could learn from the way that you approach life and the way that you have conversations with people. And so um, I really appreciate uh, all the things that you've had a chance to share and uh, look forward to getting a chance to maybe know you a little bit better over the years as we move forward, because I've enjoyed uh, talking to you and hopefully we'll get a chance to come up and uh, visit you too someday. Owen, um, thank you. You are every hair on my arm is lifted right now. I have so many goosebumps. Um, that that really, really means a lot to me. Thank thank you for sharing those wonderful things. And I remember you from my, the early days at you and I and, and doing those interviews. And um, I will say it's it's they're always more fun and easier to do when it's uh, the like the feeling is mutual. And and I remember having a great time uh, and and you being easy to talk to as well. So uh, that feeling is mutual and appreciated. And I really am, am grateful uh, for, for what you shared. And, and thank you also for wanting to do this and for taking the time and for reaching out and um, asking questions and wanting to share you know, someone else's story. The work that you do is, is so powerful and impactful. And uh, it, you know, the power lies in who you want to talk to and share their stories with. And so um, thank you for this opportunity and for reaching out. And um, I certainly hope we'll stay in touch, you know, far beyond this. And if and when you're up here, let me know. And of course, whenever I'm back in Iowa, um, love seeing you in passing in the ways that we have. And, and also, you know, if, whether I'm in Iowa, you're up here grabbing coffee and, and catching up. Um, I'd love to do that. And again, thanks for, for having me do this here. The last, I was going to say uh, today and last week, the last couple of days, whatever, you know, as we pieced it together, I, I know I can get long winded. And so I appreciate your time and your questions um, and putting your energy into this. So I hope that was worth the time that you spent listening to the podcast. I know, again, it was a lengthier one, but one that uh, hopefully uh, shed some new light on things um, and allowed you to maybe see things from a new perspective. As I mentioned beforehand, 
uh, Jackie and I are from two very different backgrounds and um, very different lifestyles and would not probably agree on a lot of things socially in our culture, um, but that doesn't stop us from having a good friendship and uh, really getting down to a lot of interesting conversations. And so um, I, I really hope that this serves, if nothing else, as a way to like hopefully show people that you don't have to be afraid of having those kind of conversations with people that you're either curious about or um, have questions about a certain lifestyle that, um, you know, I can ask those questions to Jackie and other people and um, it's not seen as offensive or mean-spirited. They know that it's coming from a place of curiosity most of the time and so um, I just want to encourage people to have those conversations and feel the, feel the freedom to open up about those things and, and ask the questions that they might be curious about because I think it does allow you to come to a better understanding of other people and um, cultures that maybe you're not so familiar with. So uh, thanks for listening again. Um, if there, uh, as I say always, if there's somebody that you want to recommend for this podcast or somebody that would be good to interview, I'm, I'm always taking suggestions. I have a, a number of people that I, I know I want to talk to and so um, I still have that, that list to go off of, but at the same time, I'm, I'm willing to take recommendations if somebody knows of somebody that would be a good uh, candidate to appear on here as well. So thanks for listening.